Hello. Hello. I'm Justin. I'm Allison. And this is episode 29. Yeah, you got it. Of Robots on Typewriters. I yeah. still, every time, want to say Sturgis Podmore. Soon. Maybe. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and I think it's my turn to explain what we're doing here. Um, we here at Robots on Typewriters, we like to talk about computers and AI being funny, being used for funny things, being entertaining, or being used to make entertainment. All kinds of funny computers and creative computers doing stuff that is just for laughs and, you know, enjoyment. Or something like that. That yeah. was maybe the worst explanation I've ever done. So <laughs> the whole time I was thinking, episode. man, it's weird that we have the person who's not doing the hat do the introduction. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like nothing on this show at any point was planned. Well, I'm about to do the zesty hat. You want to tell me? You want to explain what it is? Oh or shit! Right? Yeah. It? No, I'll 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 explain. I'll explain. Let me explain. No, so, I'm almost I'm almost going to explain it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I'm doing. We have two. We have two segments. We have two segments on this show called uh, the zesty hat and the trashy toy. And the zesty hat is where one of us brings to the table something that we like or that we have found recently in this field of funny slash entertaining AI and. Um, our trashy toy is a segment that we'll be doing a little later where we play a game where one of us has used some sort of tool uh, of the same type to to uh, come up with some kind of fun little game for us to play. So, Justin, it is your turn to don the zesty hat. Um, so take it or leave it. But please take all it. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> I, I've got it already. You can't oh, have it back. Nice. Okay. This week I am... Showing you the joking computer Ooh. at joking computer or Twitter or Twitter on Twitter. <laughs> <Or> Twitter. <laughs> That's weird. It's like I couldn't read the word in my head. Uh, there was the like a speck computer. of dust on the on the yeah. end of the end. Yeah, on the end of my brain. Um, <laughs> joking computer on Twitter or the joking computer. You can go to joking.abdn.ac.uk. Uh, it's a a funny little tool made by the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And what it does is it makes jokes. It makes like joke book style jokes, just probably better than a lot of joke books. I'll give Honestly. you a couple of I'll give you a couple of the good ones, then I'll give you a couple of the just general recent ones. <laughs> then I'll explain how this thing works. Um, we're going to bring back a TBNL game right this second. Oh, no. I'm going to give you the setup, and oh, you're going to no. try to answer the But this joke. one is, like, entirely doable, and I'm like, I should be... Okay, go on, go on. Go on. Go, go on. Go on, hon. <laughs> what kind of tree is nauseated? Oof. I know how this kid works. I, I like... I don't know. A sycamore... Oh, that's really good. What do you call a washing ma machine with a September? <laughs> oh, is the is a no? I don't know. I don't know. An automatic washer. Excuse me. Oh, like autumn. Autumn. He's a good boy. What do you call a heavenly body with an assembly line? Um. I don't know. He's too smart for a me. A manufacturing planet. Okay. That, oh, all right. <laughs> it, it's better written. It looks like plant. <laughs> yeah, those are some of the ones that they've saved as like some of the better ones ever. I feel like I've seen um, better ones. I mean, those are really clever, but. Yeah, let me, let me give you some of the. So on Twitter, it just posts one every single day. And I think it's been at this for like three years now. So they vary in quality. Uh, what do you call a cross between a high temperature and a collection? You, this is just a weird one. Yeah, I don't really yeah, get I don't it. Know. A, a heat parade. <laughs> what? I think a hit parade is a thing, but I don't even really know what it is. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this one was actually pretty good. What's the difference between a nude rate and a free jewelry? Oh, I love these ones. They're they're, they're like aren't are they like they're like rhyming ish phrases, right? Yeah. A yeah. nude rate and a what jewelry? A nude rate and a free jewelry. 
I have no idea. <laughs> One is a bear speed. The other is a spare bead. <laughs> I love those so much. They're just like, they're so clever. I love Let them. Let me give you another couple of those because I think yeah. that's probably the best formula. How is a sick principle different from a quiet letter? I don't know. One is an ill star. The other is a still R. Oh, that kind of principle. I was literally thinking like an ill teacher, but then I couldn't come up with like <laughs> anything else. And last one here. Uh, you'll like this one. It's actually half decent. <laughs> what is the difference between a solitary food product and an alone limb? Hmm. I don't know. One is a lonely egg. The other is an only leg. <laughs> That's definitely been my favorite so far. Yeah, that is at Joking Computer on Twitter. Uh, they have really nice documentation of how the Joking Computer yeah. works. It's uh, it's really cool since it's built by like academics. They this isn't to you know say that when hobbyists do this kind of thing, they don't really explain it, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do really well, but the academics here really uh, drill down on how this whole thing works. So it's not neural net based as so much of what we check out on this show is. Instead, it's pretty rule based. It's pretty formulaic. So they kind of explain that there's three stages to a joke being made. So first, it has a bunch of joke building recipes in there it's uh it's a little bit more like the twitter bots we've talked about like the tracery built twitter mm -hmm. bots that have kind of set scripts and just kind of uh mad lib the rest of the material but it's it's a little better it's a little more complex than that so th it takes one of the joke scripts it has um and they call for different things so the things we were just looking at the what what's the difference between blah and blah calls for like a two word phrase. So it figures out what is needed and grabs one of those. So it might have grabbed lonely egg. Then it writes the question around that. So around lonely egg, it might say, you know, what's the solitary food product? Then it transforms the, the answer first. So mm. if you have lonely egg, you know that for this formula, the transform of it is going to be only leg. So then once it has the answer only leg, it builds the second half of the question by transforming only leg into mm -hmm. whatever it was, solitary limb or whatever. <laughs> I have a question that you might not be able to answer, but um, mm -hmm. this might just be a question to put out there. So like if it takes that first phrase, like it comes up with that first like pair of words, what if it like can't transform into something else that is, um, you know, that like is an actual like human language phrase? Yeah, I was thinking that too. So I'm looking at their thing about building the answer here. My best guess is that it's either hard coded, like it only has certain phrases right. like that that work, or it checks, like it'll pick two words and then. It'll, uh, like, check before it does everything yeah, else. Okay. that sort of thing, and it'll yeah. just reject the whole joke if it can't make a joke out of it. Right. But I wouldn't be shocked if it was just hard-coded that they only put in for that, you know, when it goes to pick two words for that formula, it only has a list of words that are going to work for it. Right, yeah. But I'm not sure. Um, yeah. You could, you could probably dig around in the code. You can... If you're interested in the joking computer, you can download it yourself and you can kind of deconstruct the software yourself, see what's, uh, see how the sausage is made if you know what you're looking at. I haven't even downloaded it myself. I don't even know what language they wrote it in or anything, but uh, it it's a pretty cool little, uh, almost like a pre-Twitter bot era Twitter bot. Where I feel like a lot of a lot of this stuff's yeah, really yeah, taken yeah, off yeah. now of people making them on cheap bots done quick. But I think this whole thing was made before tracery, which is what powers cheap bots done quick. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's definitely like been around for a long time, like longer than longer than I can remember. No, like longer than I like. I feel like I remember seeing it before I even like had an interest in Twitter bots. Yeah, I mean we this was uh, this bot 
joking computer joined Twitter <laughs> July 2010. Damn, so, son. He's eight years old. They've been they've been cracking jokes. They're kind of the, you know, I, I don't want to say the grandparents of other Twitter bots because that makes them sound <laughs> older than eight year old, eight years old. I don't know any eight year old grandparents, but they yeah they've been at this just about as long as anyone in the computational creativity realm that we've yeah. highlighted. So it's nice to nice to look back at our elders, the joking <laughs> computer. Yeah, he's a good boy. His yeah, jokes are very funny. Yeah, he, it's a surprising hit rate, too, of like yeah. how many are actually kind of funny or good. Because like the way that it like, it just like, it's so impressive when it like comes out with these like phrases, because it's usually like the joke part of it doesn't sound like anything really recognizable and then it like but then the the phrase is like the the answer to the joke is usually pretty like zingy and catchy yeah i think it's like a a better kind of highlight of how jokes work and like deconstructing like the morphology of a joke more so than it is like a computer science endeavor like it yeah we don't really talk about it enough we use the neural nets and all like you know there are a bunch of you know I, I almost legitimately said trashy toys without <laughs> without the double meaning there. Yeah, but we use the neural nets kind of uh, flippantly with just how sophisticated and complicated the math they're doing is. Joking computers, not as sophisticated as something like that. It's pretty uh, mad libby, but it's be- it's able to be that way because it's so kind of well done from the, the English language part of it of just yeah. like understanding like the beats of a joke and like the formula for joke book style jokes yeah i think uh i think they should put out a the joking computer like thousand and one joke book and just sell it as a (laughs) coffee table book we'll market it for you i don't know why that even sounded like a thing that they would wanted but i offered it i mean yeah we've become (laughs) we've weirdly become the new uh computational creativity book marketing platform here on yeah, robots on yeah. typewriters yeah we we were trying to keep it under wraps for a while but we just couldn't we just couldn't we were too excited so yeah i mean we were trying that, to keep so. it under wraps since we accidentally promoted janelle shane's book yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> see we knew about janelle's book long before we we, we pretended since we're to in the surprised. biz yeah yeah but <laughs> All right, let's stop slandering ourselves. Um, so that was Joking Computer. You can find the Joking Computer again on Twitter at Joking Computer or on the University of Aberdeen's website, joking.abdn.ac.uk. Yeah, well, thank you. That was a very, almost said trashy toy. No, it was a very zesty hat. Um, thank you for bringing that to the table. It is kind of like the OG, the OG Twitter bot, uh, for uh, the OG comedy Twitter bot. So it's good that we finally got to talk about them. Yeah. So that means I am going to take up trashy toy duty for this week. And, um, as I was just telling you, I recently hosted a murder mystery at my home, um, and not only did I host a murder mystery, I wrote the murder mystery, and it was a big undertaking, and I um, learned a lot about how murder mysteries work, and um, kind of, it had me thinking about the different parts of a good murder mystery, and how the, you know, how to accomplish this slow release of information, and all that kind of stuff, so I thought we might uh, I thought we might write some murder mysteries of our own here this week. Ooh. So what I have is this done, a random.org situation? It we're 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 combining a couple tools as we sometimes like yes. to do here. What I have done is I fed TextGen RNN a list of um Mr. I I took um every title on the Wikipedia article for the list of mystery films from the 1920s to the 1960s because nice. you made a bot watch 1,000 hours of mystery <laughs> yeah. movies and this is what exactly. it came up with. Yeah, so today we're just going to be reading a um script that it uh, miraculously <laughs> that was mailed into us in an anonymous envelope. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, no, um, I and so I fed those to TextGen RNN and I grabbed eight pretty fantastic titles and um, I uh, then I figure we can talk about 
what those movies might be about. And I have two, um, I might want your input on this. I, I currently just have the random lists um, generators for a random person who I figured we might say was casted as the murderer in this, in this famous, famous film. And then a, the generator for just random things to um, decide what the murder weapon might be. But um uh, if we, if you have any ideas on how to use some of the other generators in to to contribute to fill out this colorful worlds that we're about to create, then uh, be my guest. I mean, we can just have like the list of generators kind of ready to go, and we can yeah. we can pick agilely based on what's based on yeah. what the thing is. Yeah. Um. So then let's go ahead, and I'll give you the first one. Which is, and because I took them from Wikipedia, the way that list was formatted is they all had the year in parentheses afterwards, so these all have years as well um, that they were made, but I don't know how much that's going to (laughs) inform our story. Yeah, well, maybe. Depends on the year, I guess. Yeah. Um, So the first one is the 1961 classic, The Tater. (laughs) Very, very good. So what what do you think the Tater was about? All right, let me find uh, who starred in the Tater. Yeah, or who it was about. Okay, weird. Uh, Jim Carrey, who was probably <laughs> a right. child. This was his <laughs> debut role. See, I think I'm gonna we're gonna we might have to kind of uh, suspend the construct of time for this game because th- this is in fact the latest film on this list. So right, okay, yeah, Jim Carrey, who was negative one years old in his <laughs> debut role. All right, yeah, so Jim Carrey in this movie in the Tater. Oh, great! Mm-hmm. Uh, the random thing I got was a spoon. So okay, small young boy Jim Carrey. All he's armed with is a spoon. Wait, it's a mystery, not a horror. (laughs) I mean, they sometimes go hand in hand. Yeah, sometimes a spoon goes in your hand. Sometimes a spoon goes in your tater. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's precisely the problem here, that a spoon went into this tater, (laughs) and the only one that was home was the baby, Jim Carrey, as a baby. He was just, you know, let's say one year old <laughs> rather than negative one years old. This this 13-month-old baby laying in his crib. And the family comes home and finds the potato that they had left out for dinner. Uh, not, not just a potato, like one of the potatoes <laughs> they had left out as part of their dinner uh, as, when they arrived home. Had a spoon stuck into the potato. Did Neither they leave the baby home that. alone? Yes, it was okay. 1961. Babies were more responsible at the time. <laughs> and they got home and found, yeah, uh, mysteriously, a spoon was in the tater. Oh, no. And, Who done it? Um, I, I guess I'm going to have to hit random. Yeah. They, they eventually deduced that after kind of asking the neighbors, did you, while I was out, this is going to sound weird, <laughs> did but you? did you come into my house and stick a spoon in the potato <laughs> one by one the neighbors were like what no why would that doesn't even make any sense was it a, a cooked potato just a raw potato why no uh after asking all of the neighbors they realized that the only person left that they hadn't asked was albert einstein oh man yeah it was a propaganda movie uh the 60s were kind of <laughs> reassessing our interpretation of Einstein and the great scientists of Mm. the 30s and 40s and saying, you know, sometimes the unintended consequences of our action, the fear we strike in the hearts of those we act upon are far greater than the actions in and of themselves. It was a metaphor, you see, for dropping the nuclear bomb. Oh, no. Wow. That's heavy. Yeah, and to think it's it's like you wouldn't expect it from the title. It's it's one yeah. of those. You wouldn't expect <laughs> it from really the title flippant. or lead acting, baby. <laughs> but that his performance, man, and it's 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 one of those things. It's like after he just started doing comedy and got kind of got shoehorned in. But uh, his 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 early performance, 
It was not comedic at all. He was the, yeah, the no, dramatic he, he kind of went through like cycles where it was like serious, goofy, serious, yeah. goofy. This was exactly. like his original. This was Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Tater. <laughs> yeah, that was the working title for a while, but it, it was, was too long. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. The Tater, 1961. So, yeah. Um, as I said, that one was the latest film, and all of them are much earlier. So, um, I think they're definitely probably based on who we're gonna random on this thing might have had to do some time traveling to get into these films yeah the next one was is the panties of the night oh the panties of the night well yeah. what year oh, was from, this from 1941 uh i don't this person did have to do a little bit of time traveling but he had to time travel forward just a bit oh because the person that uh the person that discovered the panties of the night was Charles Darwin. I randomed him earlier today when I opened up this generator. Wow. Nice. The panties of the night. Let's see where this took place. Uh, Darwin, of course, is British, so I'll get a br- random British address. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> this took place in uh, in Bromley, Chester okay. Road in Bromley. Home uh, of my favorite tea. Yeah. Home of probably many a great tea. Uh, <laughs> so... Charles Darwin minding his own business in Bromley, and he hears a scream next door. He runs over to the the neighbor's house and says, "Hey, it's me, Charles Darwin." He always <laughs> going on himself that way. Yeah, he was uh, he was very self obsessed, and he played himself in this movie, of course. Right, right, right. Uh, and the neighbor says, "I just opened my panty drawer, and." All the panties are gone, and they've been replaced by sticky notes arranged in the shape of panties. Okay. Darwin says, why did you scream? Like, that's weird, but like, maybe not scream inducing. She says, call me. She says, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, you're right, but it's, you would be weirded out, wouldn't you? And he's like, yeah, I guess I probably would. It's it's like a Tarantino esque thing where like yeah you've and you've the seen mundane, this movie so uh, I was gonna say <laughs> it's the mundane dialogue that you get wrapped up in but also right. yeah I've just seen it forty times which is why I can uh, repeat this whole movie verbatim yeah yeah I'm impressed but yeah so he's he's just you know mostly kind of enamored by the fact that there would be these sticky notes um, in the shape of panties he's like. Maybe it was like an artist or something. And she's like, wait, don't you do nature drawings? And he starts shaking his head like, no. Psh, no. Uh, I mean, yes, but like not in sticky note form. I don't even know what those are. Yeah, they haven't even been invented yet. And I've been dead for the last 60 years. <laughs> and she's uh, like, yeah, but anyway, my panties. Yeah, so they eventually, they keep, you know, figuring this whole thing out, deciding you know, Darwin didn't do it. The neighbor doesn't know what happened. They look for clues, and they eventually the the trail leads back to the thief, Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh my goodness! Wow, That's... a debut role. Yeah, she she was just a thief. Is the the resolution there? She was hoping that if she left decoy panties, the owner would never realize. Wow. Keep in mind, since this was a movie in the 40s, it was like kind of, you know, practical effects went a farther way, went a longer way because like resolution wasn't great. It was in black and white. So, right. Yeah. You see these sticky notes in the form of panties and you're like, "Uh, maybe. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she this is this is actually contrary to popular belief, the first um, fictional appearance of Carrie Bradshaw, right? Sarah, yeah, Sarah, Sarah was, Jessica Park was playing Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah, this is how the character originated. Big right. Sex in the City fans know uh, that little piece of trivia that Sex yeah. in the City was a spin-off show uh, based yeah. on the panties of the night or whatever this yeah. is called. Yeah, because she stole all the panties to like blog about them or whatever the hell. Yeah, she exactly. Did. I, like I originally the city was Bromley, but mm-hmm. they decided later on that probably it should be New York. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Panties of the Night, 1941. Watch it. Your next movie title from the year 1936. 
the dark cat Harlock Holmes. Harlock Holmes? Harlock Holmes, the dark cat. Oh, I love this. So uh, this was uh, the first ever movie starring Madonna. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she was getting her big debut in the 30s. And this was a time when uh, they call it the golden age of cinema, really Mm -hmm. in terms of quantity, but not quality. Uh, This was a time when movies were fairly cheap to make. Uh, and they just, movies got pumped out of the studios yeah, uh, kind of as quick as possible, as uncreative as possible. So something like the Black Cat named her, what is it? The Black Cat Harlock Holmes? <laughs> the Dark Cat Harlock Holmes. The Dark Cat Harlock Holmes. So yep. <laughs> it was, uh, the movies were just being pushed out of the studios as quickly as possible <laughs> um, with no creativity. But the studios were really cheap. They couldn't bother getting screenplay rights to existing mm-hmm. media. So they just changed some details around and like retold these <laughs> existing stories. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the few books that had been written by 1930 was uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Hound of Baskervilles. So right. they decided, ah, we'll just change some things around. We'll instead of a hound, it's a black, a, a dark cat. Instead of Sherlock Holmes, it's Harlock Holmes. Right. Um, they didn't really keep the original, uh, the original case here either. Like in the original book and then story, it's like there's a if you go out at night in the one town or whatever, there's like the the mysterious hound that keeps like attacking people. In this, it's just that there's a cat. Um, his the cat's name is Harlock Holmes. Right. And the the thing that's freaking people out is uh. A, a mouse pad that people don't a know. A mouse pad? Yeah. Okay. So it was kind of like a play on words that like it's a cat chasing a mouse pad. Right. Except yeah. mouse pads didn't exist yet. So it was kind of lost on the audience at the time. Um, and of course, it's animated. Madonna plays the cat. She voices mm-hmm. the cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and movies, animated movies weren't cheap and easy to make. So I don't know why <laughs> they were so uncreative with this. But uh-huh. uh, yeah, so they... Because it, it was a, it was actually an animated remake of an earlier live action film. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. A, an earlier live action film that had Cher in that same role, and Madonna <laughs> yeah. did it in the in the animated version. So yeah, the the idea is the people in the town are scared of uh, this mysterious object, this mouse pad, um, and the they hire the world's greatest detective, Harlock Holmes. To, right. to figure out what is going on here. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing really to it. It's like a 10-minute long movie, as most movies mm. were back then, that yeah. they, the people are scared. They contact Harlock Holmes. Harlock Holmes looks into it and says, yeah, yeah it's just a mouse pad. And they're like, what is that? And he, he kind of tries to explain, but kind of the idea of a computer mouse wasn't around yet either. So he yeah, kind of gives just, a... He looks into the camera and the X-Files uh, sound plays. Yeah, exactly. That also originated that sound. Uh, right. The X Files used it right. later. Oh, I always forget yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, all the the little known facts of the golden age of mystery movies. I know. Yeah, this is really informative. I I, I um, I hoped that we would get at this kind of at, at these kinds of you know just deep cut good trivia facts because we always like to flaunt how much we know more than exactly most of <laughs> most people. You more know. than the plebs that listen. Exactly. The next title is one I really like. It's a 1945 classic, Thin the Spider. Thin the Spider. Yep. All right. Uh, wow. I, wow. Okay. Uh, Thin the Spider was another kind of book that was based on previous work. Um, mm-hmm. This was a, a kind of metaphorical take right after World War II on the work of Karl Marx. Oh, okay, right, right. So Thin the Spider, um, he's a spider that, uh, you know, the the whole barn is filled with animals. It's a Charlotte's Web situation. Uh-huh. And Thin the Spider, uh, it, it's such a Charlotte's Web situation that 
one could argue that this was actually based on the work of E.B. White rather than the work of Karl Marx, but <laughs> Thin the Spider is uh, kind of saves this farm that's uh, in in disrepair because Thin the Spider is very talented at writing words and messages with his web. Right. Um, and yeah, so the, the farmer will come into the barn and see, you know, some pig and all that. <laughs> Charlotte's web bullshit. And that'll and do pig. Yes, it's, it's you see written out that'll do pig <laughs> and a photo of the actor who sit, said that line <laughs> drawn as if by an etch a sketch in in spider web. <laughs> that's how that's etch a sketches are based off the way spiders work on their webs. Yeah, it's exactly. It that's the origin that old etch a sketches it was instead of having, you know, magnetic filings in there, you actually just had you had control a spider. a spider. You dragged a yeah. spider along the glass. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so thin the spider is making these beautiful, you know, etch a sketch drawings of <laughs> uh C-list actors and all that sort of thing. And it brings a lot of uh, interest to the farm. It brings newspaper reporters and uh, tourists and all sorts of, like, they start selling merchandise based on the designs of Thin the Spider. But Thin realizes that uh, all this, all the money that's suddenly coming into the farm, the farm is saved, but the farmer is the one profiting here, that he takes the money and just, you know, takes his family to a nice dinner and buys a fancy new tractor and... Puts a new coat of paint on the barn, but he's not reinvesting that money into the animals. He's not giving Thin the Spider uh, any kind of share of that profit. And then the spider disappears. The barn goes into disrepair once again. The tourists stop showing up. The, the media craze dies out. The merchandise is out of date. Uh, the farmer... Figures out he's broken penniless now. And the mystery is what happened to Thin? Where did Thin go? And it turns Who out that Thin? all along it was it was the capitalist machine that got rid of Thin. Oh. Thin decided, you know, I, I I can't even afford to eat. I'm called Thin the Spider for a reason. Oh. <laughs> and Thin starved because the profits were uh, the stolen wages of the spinning class. The, the web spinning class and oh man yeah thin thin died of starvation while the farm owner originally profited handsomely on all this <sighs> so yeah it's always it, the capitalist machine exactly i mean it might not have been uh it was a little ahead of its time to come out in 1945 during the red scare but yeah yeah thin yeah. the spider yeah that's why we read charlotte's web in school today and uh right. instead of reading thin the spider that you know exactly if if the russians had their way we'd be reading about thin <laughs> uh the this whole time i've been imagining thin the spider as you know that this the the meme that's like the spider saying would you like some of this hot chocolatey milk yeah He's not really a thin spider, but that's how I've been imagining him this whole time. Yeah, I can see it. And instead, he's saying, I would like some of that hot chocolatey milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please, sir, may I have some of that hot chocolatey milk? <laughs> yeah. That was the movie poster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it right. was done in spider web, and it looked like an Etch-A-Sketch drawing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Your next movie. The House of the Stunner from 1946. The House of the Stunner. All right. Well, The House of the Stunner, 1946, was a movie starring Matthew McConaughey. Uh-huh. As All right. This is making sense. The titular Stunner. Yep. <laughs> um, it was a... It was like one of them movies that came out like five years ago, the two competing movies about really good magicians. Mm, um, okay. So where the house of the out. stunner right. was this house where you'd go in and it was just wall-to-wall magic and illusions performed by Matthew McConaughey. Mm. Um, it was a house where, let's see where this house was. Um, let's see how I can tell you where this house was. Why don't you do a U.S. city? Or are there U.S. cities or is it Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I see U.S. cities. This was a house in Milwaukee where- All right. (laughs) Where all great stunners are uh, are from. (laughs) Are made. Yeah, it's, uh, 
and he had all sorts of tricks here. So uh, he could turn, you would walk in and you saw a bunch of stockings by the fireplace. It was a Christmas movie. And the stunner would snap his fingers and turn them into televisions, which is wild in the 1940s, considering televisions were not around yet. Um, There was another scene, uh, also Christmassy, where there was a, a teddy bear sitting on a chair and the stunner walked by, struck a match, held it to the teddy bear and the teddy bear burnt away and all that was left was a, a hanger, a clothes hanger. Jesus. Um, yeah, it was it was weirdly flashy tricks that like didn't really have like a, a punchline, I guess. Like Yeah. It's not like, you know, a real bear walked out or anything, but Right. He's like it's they just were to so make you think. Yeah, exactly. The tricks were so technically excellent that you didn't notice that like there was no real craftsmanship behind them. There was no yeah. artistry to it. Um, and yeah, everyone was wondering, how is the stunner doing this? That is this man actually magic or what's going on? Um, and finally, you know, some intrepid wannabe magician sneaks into the house at night and he has to dodge all kinds of illusions like he finds a bunch of chocolate on the ground and tries to eat some of it, but then realizes it's actually just pants that look like chocolate. <laughs> and then he finds a clock on the wall, and when he goes to check what time it is, he figures he sees that he has to he has to insert his credit card that it's not a free clock. <laughs> That's how the stunner was making money on all this. Oh no! But you would he be in his house realizes, and he'd be like, "What time is it?" And he'd he'd be like, "Pay up." <laughs> exactly that you know time is money pay up but he finally it finally is revealed that uh he has it's not that the man's actually magic but he has an assistant who (laughs) is magic (laughs) and she's doing all the tricks Uh and that assistant is played by scarlett johansson okay yeah and kind of at the end it was like and all along she was the stunner Oh, I see. The yeah. stunner was the friends that he made along the way. Yeah, the friends that friend he already Scarlet. had along the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've got a couple more here. How about, tell me about the Cat Flags murders from 1946 as well. So this was this came out the same week as uh, the House of the Stunner, if you can remember. Yeah, they I, opened against each other. This was yeah. kind of like... Murders were, I mean, murder mystery kind of movies were all the rage at the time. So the Cat Flags murders was more, you know, it wasn't as showy and family friendly as the the stunner. This was more of like a hard-boiled, you know, cop hunting killer kind of situation. Yeah. Like a Silence of the Lambs before its time. Um, it stars Ulysses S. Grant, former U.S. <laughs> President and Civil War General, uh-huh. as... Uh, as the the sheriff in town, and the town is St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, okay. <laughs> this is a big year for Midwest, Midwest mysteries. Movies, that was the yeah. the full genre. Uh-huh. Uh, so Ulysses S. Grant is the sheriff, and he's hunting down the cat flag murderer that people keep turning up dead. Um, and when you go into a house, no, 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 people keep turning up dead, and the way uh he, the the killer marks the victim is that normally you know it's 1940s america everyone has a proud u.s flag in their front yard of course of course but you wake up one morning and you see your neighbor's house the u.s flag's been replaced and there's just a flag with a big picture of a cat face <laughs> oh, no. and when you go in the whole family is dead so general grant a proud patriot and a man of the law is hunting Playing down himself. this murderer yeah oh yeah playing yeah playing okay well playing sheriff grant but it's like kind of an obvious romana cleft for himself yes and uh uh you get two perspectives you see the work of the sheriff hunting down this murderer and then you'll see kind of distorted shots of the murderer like going into houses and uh it's it's not super gory they kind of cut away but you get right. the idea that he's like breaking into all these random houses through St. Paul and killing people. And right. the, the killer, you, you kind of see the, the silhouette of him in the beginning of the movie. It's Ernest Hemingway. So it's. Oh, my God. 
yeah, it's two uh, two big, you know, macho bearded men just chasing <laughs> each other down. <laughs> the best kind of movie. Exactly. That's. I, I mean, it was the forties. It was not every movie could have Scarlett Johansson as the real, uh, the course, real magic the along the way. Um, and finally, you know, after weeks of trying to figure out how do I know which house is going to turn up with a cat and trying to predict which which house it's going to be, uh, the general Sheriff Grant figures out that the key to all of this was was time. It was okay. It was time. So yeah, I mean, this really was a direct competitor to the House of the Stunner. Yeah, yeah, the clock was uh, the the big the the MacGuffin in that one, and yeah. here time itself ended up being they they interpreted it a little differently. So it was like uh, the the cat flags murderer, you know, on November the first would murder the person who lived at one 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 Main Street, <gasps> and on you know December third would murder the person that lived on one two three Main Street. <laughs> Whoa. So it was just he would use the address and murder the right. person on that number on Main Street. Uh, Sheriff Grant <laughs> was kind of incompetent. That I mean, it was all just, you know. He was not a numbers man. Yeah, it was basically like one house after the next on the same street was being hit. So right. uh, he probably could have figured that one out. But no, he, yeah, he's not a numbers <laughs> right. man. He's a man of law. Um, yeah. yeah, finally, on Christmas uh, on Christmas Eve night, General Grant, who lived on one two two four Main Street, <laughs> Main Street, he uh-huh. finally got a knock at his own door, and uh, yeah, Ernest Hemingway tried to show up and kill the Grant family, but Hemingway uh, also not. So Hemingway was a numbers man, but he wasn't a a phone book kind of man, so he didn't know who lived at twelve twenty four Main Street. Right? Yeah. Um, Grant didn't realize that 1224 was also a date, so there would be a murder that night. So they were both kind of surprised to see each other. Um, it's kind of played for a little bit of comedy that it's like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm just here for a Christmas carol. Grant, (laughs) like, oh, uh, great. Sing me, uh, Jingle Bell Rock. (laughs) That one doesn't exist yet. And then like, write it right now. It's it's and, silly and, and you kind of see like, <laughs> yeah, Grant figures out like this guy isn't a Christmas caroler at all and, you know, realizes, oh, also he's, you know, holding a machete and wearing a hockey mask and right. he arrests him and that's that. Yeah. And I think he, I remember the moment where he kind of puts it together because um, Ernest Hemingway is like, do you know who's buried in Grant's tomb? And he's like, no, no. And he's like. It's about to be you. <laughs> and then, then he rests him on the spot. Really good. Only thought of it because my grandpa told that joke the other day. That's yeah. That, well, that's where he got it from. That that movie yeah, was really movie, big back yeah. in its day. That's why exactly. old people love yeah. that that joke. Yeah. yeah. Um. And, that also <laughs> the number. Grant said, "Ask not for whom the bell on Grant's tomb tolls, <laughs> for it tolls for you." So, the next movie, The Lady Murder Case from 1935. The Lady Murder Case, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is a political thriller. Um, mm. It's in 1935, but the lead character in it is Julius Caesar. Oh. Um, yeah, so it, it takes place in ancient Rome, in, in Caesar's <laughs> empire, Okay. And uh, the the lady murder case, Caesar realizes that the women of Rome are being murdered at a disproportionate rate to the point that there there must be someone kind of on the loose right now, uh, lady murdering. Mm. Um, he's you know he, every time a lady is murdered, someone go if you an angel gets its wings. Yeah, every time yeah, that is where that line started. Every time a lady is murdered, uh the investigators did they have cops in ancient Rome? Probably not. I guess obviously they had ancient cops. Yeah, okay. The the ancient cops turned up and they would find a plastic spoon uh (laughs) lodged in a potato. 
within this. What is the... this synthetic substance? <laughs> yeah, they they would be amazed by the ah, it's white like porcelain. Do they even have porcelain? I don't think so. <laughs> I have no idea. It's it's white like a cloud, hard <laughs> like wood. Oh, it's white and hard like marble, but cheaper than marble. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, so they would say, what is this strange soft marble spoon and why is it lodged in a potato? I feel um, like I could throw this thing right in the trash when I'm done with it. <laughs> There's Don't so many ladies being murdered that you, you can. We can just throw them right in the trash. <laughs> also, what is this spoon anyway? This hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, so... They keep finding these plastic spoons in these houses and they realize, you know, it's not just random ladies dying because back in those days, you know, people randomly died a lot. And especially if it was random women dying, they would say, you know, they're probably cursed or it's probably like, you know, female uh, infirmity that they're all just dying from. Right, exactly. But but no, they realize there's there's a lady murderer on the loose. So eventually kind of the population of Rome is thinned out that uh, to the point that there's more cops than there are ladies. So every lady has like two cops, you know, staking out her house each night to uh-huh. make sure, you know, no one's going to murder, no one's going to lady murder them. And uh, finally, and it turns in out these days, a lot of ladies did just live alone in their own homes. Yeah, I mean, Rome was pretty progressive. Yeah. <laughs> most yeah, most homeowners were single women in ancient yeah. Rome. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they have two cops just hanging out at the house of every, <laughs> of every lady that lives alone. Yeah. And uh, finally, because of this policy, the killer can't hide his identity any longer, but he can't stop killing. And the killer, of course, is... Napoleon Bonaparte. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a historical History fiction thing. Yeah. And it ends it culminates in a big scene where right down in like the the forum in the public square, uh Caesar and Napoleon just have a, a big old wicked sword fight and uh Oh, I thought Julius you were gonna Caesar. say like a Western show like showdown. A Western showcase showdown. Um <laughs> they they both submit their bid on the <laughs> yeah no so yeah no they have a big old sword fight uh sparks flying off their swords lots of like unnecessary special effects like michael sparks bay style between them yeah sparks fly sparks between the eyes every time they lock eyes yeah. lots of monologuing all that um and finally yeah caesar uh lops off the head of napoleon and oh, wow. says that the he he says, you have been boned apart, and the lady murders <laughs> oh will God. now come to an end. Wow. He was always one for the wicked catchphrases after a kill. Yeah, that was Caesar's big thing. Yeah. The die has been cast, and you are the die. That almost <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> and you have died. Exactly. Wow. That's an, that is what I call an epic film yeah i do say so myself it's up there with um you know (laughs) citizen the the greatest showman or whatever that other one was the great the the house of the shocker or whatever the house of the stunner Yeah. yeah well that leaves just one movie left to left to talk about and as they as as you do i've saved the worst for last this is the sherlock hopsiu man spinner Sherlock from, Hops You Manspinner? From 1941. I'll send it over so that you can see how Hops You is spelled. All right. I was going to ask, do I get liberty on how it's spelled or do I have to? Hops You Manspinner. Um, nope. Yeah, I'm going to take liberties with Hops You. Do it. Uh, so, again, this was kind of that golden age of cinema where movies were just being pumped out as quickly as possible. Um... This is yet another, you know, let's make a Sherlock Holmes movie, but we don't have the rights. So let's just, you know, use the character and not really make a credible Sherlock Holmes story. Right. Um, And it was the sort of thing where it was just like people starred in movies 
that they probably weren't suited for. They were just kind of like, oh, we've got him around the studio already <laughs> doing something else. We'll just have him in it. So right. Sherlock, uh, Sherlock Holmes was in this movie played by Emeril Lagasse. <laughs> wow. Celebrity <laughs> chef. <laughs> Who, uh, this was before his, his heyday as a chef when he was just, uh, you know, he was like working in crafty on, on uh, film lots, right? Yeah, exactly. He was, uh, he was doing craft services. He was uh, he was an amateur boxer. That's where he got his catchphrase, bam, because oh. he would punch someone and then say, bam. He was right. a really bad boxer because every single punch he tried, he would just <laughs> yell, bam. Right, right. Uh, but that's why they cast him as Sherlock Holmes, because Sherlock Holmes, uh, that was kind of a minor part of his character, that he was a, a boxer as well, or a major part, if you watch the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Sherlock True. Holmes movie. Uh, but yeah, so Emeril Lagasse plays Sherlock in Sherlock Hops You Man Spinner. <laughs> so Sherlock Holmes decides to kind of leave the lives of both boxing and uh, mystery solving to open Sherlock Hops You, uh, a university <laughs> about beer making. <laughs> really good. Um, and that's why, that's another reason Emeril Lagasse was chosen, that there was a lot of like kind of cooking and like, in the right, kitchen kind yeah. of scenes. Um, and this was, you know, after Prohibition and all, so home brewing was suddenly cool. Uh, right, yeah. A lot of people were just, you know, making beer in their kitchen. And Sherlock Holmes was a big enough name that you were like, oh, yeah, he's a sm- Sherlock hops you. Sherlock's a smart guy. People yeah. started showing up to his classes on making beer until the man spinner showed up. Mm. So I don't know if you're familiar with the brewing process. Fill me in. But the first thing any good brewmaster does is spin the beer, spin spin the hops, send <laughs> right. them on a spin. Right, 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 right. You nowadays they have uh, you know electric spinners, uh, and back then they also had electric spinners. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, but they were big old machines. Now you can have like you know, a little hop spinner sitting right on your kitchen counter. Back yeah. then it was D- like... During Prohibition, it, people used to do it in their in their washing machines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Wash, washing machine beer is what they call it. Correct. Yeah, every part of that checks out. So yeah. uh, the hop spinners back then were, were pretty big. And uh, one day the, the class comes into Sherlock Hops You. You know, it's a locked door kind of thing that... They, they're at the classroom door. It's a big old like industrial kitchen. Uh, Sherlock opens the door and they find that in the spinner, they hear they hear the spinners on and they hear like a clunk, 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 clunk. And normally you might <gasps> oh, hear like ticka, 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 ticka when there's just hops <laughs> in there. So right. the big clunk, clunk, they know something's wrong and they open it up and they find a man. The body <gasps> no. of the man anyway. Uh, the man, the man they find is Albert Einstein. Oh my god! Is the prequel to whatever the first movie was, or the sequel? Yeah, the the Tater movie. The Tater, that's right. Also yeah, Albert Einstein right. did a lot of food movies in his later right. career. Um, right. Yeah, so they find it comes first full circle. They found the first circle. They found Albert Einstein's body in the in the spinner. And they know that at the end of class, Sherlock locks up at the beginning. That's why he's, you know, did is the door closed? Sure. Locked it. Um, that's <laughs> uh-huh. just blatantly stealing from the BBC show. But uh, they, yeah, they make sure the class is locked up at the end of the day. So someone had access to this room and put Albert Einstein into the spinner, the man oh spinner. Um, and, you know. Who has access? It's an industrial kitchen at, at the university. It hops you. So they, you know, they bring in all the janders that have kind of the, the master keys to the building. They interview them and they all have solid alibis. And when I say they, Sherlock Holmes continues to teach this as a class, but now it's a class right. on detective work. Um, it's like he tried to leave the life behind, but he couldn't. And so he, yeah, he's, he had to get pulled back in for one last job he looks right in the camera and says you can take the sherlock out of mysteries but you can't take the mysteries out of sherlock uh-huh right bam and uh <laughs> i forgot they, it was emerald <laughs> they so they interview like 
everyone that has a key they're you know they find all these red herring kind of sketchy subjects that the the rube watching this movie is probably like uh i bet he did it that guy has an eye patch so like they they interview johnny cash and he's already talking about Folsom prison and he didn't do it after all uh they interview uh there's a director cameo as they interview james cameron and they realize right you know it's just for him to get his five minutes of fame and he didn't do it finally sherlock says when you eliminate the impossible what is left is the answer or however he says it you got it well they said it it just like i just did because they didn't have the rights but exactly uh and they realized that the only person other than the the staff that might have had access to this room is the president of the university bill gates oh wow oh my goodness and he took out albert einstein because he wanted people to consider him the world's smartest man right and that's, yeah, that's how yeah, it happened. And, and as it turns out, at the end of the movie, uh, the whole class looks at the camera and says, all along, the world's smartest man was Sherlock. And then Sherlock yells, bam! <laughs> right. It's a really monumental ending. Yeah. It's one they, like, Sherlock they, they, show, you, they show you in film classes. I, I know I saw that in film classes. Yeah, it was the, it's that classic, thing they still do in films where yeah every character at some point has to look right in the camera and deliver a line mm-hmm. and it's like you know how in goodfellas at the end of the film um it's it's just a shot of joe pesci looking into the camera and saying bam it's it's an homage to that to that movie <laughs> yeah if you watch the uh director's cut of goodfellas it's tw- that shot's 20 minutes long and he just keeps right. saying bam right over and over again it's it's wild but it's great it's phenomenal yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that's that's kind of a a history of uh, a history of a mystery, mystery for you. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, I I gave you this game because I knew you were so knowledgeable about them. I knew you'd be able to pull out those good tidbits that we can lord over everybody else who's um, never seen a movie in their life and just like stuff like you know whatever. Yeah. yeah no, you knew I could pull out that good good, and we, yeah. we got it. Yeah, yeah, we got that good good, as they say in, in um, all film as classes. As we say as our tagline, <laughs> all yeah. film classes say we got that good good. <laughs> yeah. But it is also our tagline. You can, If you zoom into our album art, you'll notice it there under the R, one of the R's. You'll never know which one unless you zoom in. All right, this game's over. Um, <laughs> this, is, this um, I used Textgen RNN by Max Wolf at Minimax IR on um, Twitter and Mastodon. Maybe I don't actually. Yeah, know for a fact, is he definitely okay? No, maybe um, not definitely. Actually, I don't, I don't know. know. But he also, you can also find um, Textgen RNN on GitHub and figure out how to use it for yourself. It's very easy to use if you can run Python, and it's super fun to play around with. Um, and um, the other kind of fill in the blanks that Justin did for for the movies was um, from a bunch of different random generators from randomlists.org.com, which is our favorite random generator. Our favorite site. mistake to make saying it's yes. .org. exactly um so yeah that's that's that that's what we really like like. um if you want to email us you can get in touch with us at robots at batcamp.org you could find us and follow us on twitter at robot typewriter and we're on facebook as facebook.com slash robots on typewriters i think and we live on a website called batcamp that's batcamp.org and um we're actually gonna have a web comic going up tonight i believe on um batcamp by by my friend Lee, who is a very talented artist, and it's uh, very excited to have her to have her art on Batcamp. So go check out Ghost Girl, um, and you can find Batcamp across across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Batcamp site. And our theme song is "Video Challenge" by Anamanaguchi. And keep and- your eyes open. I have a, a movie that I'm writing now. I can't give you all the details, but I'll just tell you it stars Tyler Perry. It's a mystery movie. Uh, he's got an air freshener, and he is in Glendale, Arizona. Keep your eyes oh. out for that one. Oh my God, you've got me hooked. Tell me more. Tell me more. Bless it, love at <laughs> first sight. 
very weird. Ah, uh, you're right. It's Grease 4. Oh my god! Do you know of the concept of your golden birthday? I didn't really know about this thing. Uh, I feel like I've heard it before, but I'm, I can't it's recall like what that your means. your birthday where you turn the age that is like the date of your birthday. So like this year I'm turning 24 on the 24th. You've already oh. had yours. Yours is long gone. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. M- mine, is, mine is coming up. I'm, and, and that's pretty exciting. I don't know what happens, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's that. Nice. That's what we really like. Um, my next birth, my next golden birthday, I guess you could say it's when I'm 58 because it'll be like 5'8". True. Yeah, yeah. Then it's 85 because, you know, if you do it European style, it'll be 8'5". <laughs> right. Mine will be t- when I'm 241. <laughs> I'm I'm rooting for you. Thanks. If you if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at Jesus Christ at, <laughs> at Jesus Christ at batcamp.org. <laughs>